Um, yeah. Okay. I don't trust the cloud. I don't trust the cloud either. Oh, oh I don't trust computers. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Gay Ergos podcast. My name is Lizzie Houston and um, I am about to be in full swing of crazy rowing coach uh, for the season. And my name's Kiro Sullivan and I'm in a week of mourning following the Super Bowl loss. To those friends who have texted and reached out, thank you for your sympathy. We we are hurting in the Philadelphia household. Yeah, it's it's been a sad, sad couple of days, but we will persevere as... I always say the Eagles have broken my heart most of my life and we will come back stronger next year. But we have a wonderful, very exciting guest with us today. While this episode will not be about our wonderful guest, we have invited Erica Tibbetts to join us to talk about all things trans inclusion in sport, prompted a little bit by some recent information out in the world. Um, for those of you that don't know, there has been some interesting reactions in the rowing world to U.S. rowing's new gender inclusion policy. So <clears throat> we wanted to use this space to scream into the world our frustrations, but also just chat about, you know, what what are these opinion pieces really saying? What are they really exploring? What does the policy itself really say? And we thought we'd be doing a disservice to our community and the rowing world at large if we didn't talk about it. So. Erica, introduce yourself to the people. Tell them why we've brought you here to join us. Hi, my name is Erica Tibbetts. I also mourn the Eagles, but was really appreciative of, of the halftime show. So, you know, it's, it's like, doesn't quite balance out, but that was pretty cool. I am a lecturer at Smith College, where I teach both at the undergrad level and the graduate level. My Research lab is called the Sport for Social Change Lab. So we think a lot about things like gender inclusivity and race, um, socioeconomic, and all the intersections of things that keep people in and out of sports and the power that sport has to make social change. I did my master's degree at Ithaca College, where I was the GA for the rowing team there for two years, which we made it to nationals, where I got a PhD in the psychology of human movement. Um, and my dissertation was on incarcerated women's motivation exercise. Um, so I have a, a wide array of interests there. While I was there, I worked for a nonprofit that, um, provided access to bike rides and spin classes to women who were incarcerated or who were receiving inpatient treatment for, um, substance abuse. And then I've been at Smith college for the last six and a half years. Um, so that's sort of my academic pedigree. I love to yell about these things. I like to publish, I like to papers and blog posts about these things, sort of like academia gives soapbox and you're like, Ooh, what shall I yell about based in research and like, you know, not just like, what did I, what do I want to yell about this morning? But I'm so excited to have you on today. Kira said amazing things and I will not lie. I did a deep dive, not only into the U.S. rowing gender policy, but I did my due diligence Googling and I'm excited to pick your brain about some of the papers I came across and I'm excited to just get this whole conversation going and yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that there is bias in the room and that one, there are two temple grads present and two, Erica is also one of my professors. So <laughs> in the uh, master's degree program I'm currently in. So um, obviously that connection and I am part of that. So sport for social change lab. So Super excited to kind of bring that lab into the podcasting sphere. I think it would be great if we can actually just start about 
talking about what the policy is that U.S. Rowing has recently put out. It came into effect in December of this past year. So whether or not there are people in rowing world that are aware of this policy, it is affecting pretty much everyone in a little bit of a way. So um, for context over the last year, I will give a shout out to U.S. Rowing. They held town halls. They had this very open, transparent process in creating this policy. And I attended a couple of them. And it was honestly a really productive and creative space in creating this um, this newer policy for this. And I think what a lot of people, when it came out, a lot of people were very critical of it. And that wasn't reflected in those town hall spaces. So there was opportunity. I want to let give us rowing that shout out to discuss and explore and expand this policy in ways that people may feel was a little more reflective of whatever they wanted out of it. Um, but a lot of people just didn't show up to those opportunities. So to everyone that turned out to be an absolute hater of the policy, I just want to say you missed your chance and there was plenty of chances. Um, but let's talk about what the policy says in general. Lizzie, you did a pretty deep dive of it. Do you want to give a quick recap? Sure. Um, I just to echo off of, of your point as well. Um, yeah, U.S. Rowing provided plenty of opportunities for people and I will happily put Newsweek on blast and you can come at me however you want and I will be more than welcome to it. I spent my Valentine's Day with my dog annotating the U.S. Rowing um, gender inclusion policy and um, it does bring like, I mean, I want to give it to them. They're trying very, very hard. And while people don't necessarily agree with the entire, you know, with all, with everything in the policy, at the same time, not only does Gay Ergos have to, as the largest queer rowing space, we do have to provide that support. And I agree, they're doing a good job of getting the ball rolling. It's never going to be perfect. We've said this before. People expect change overnight. People expect results when they want them, but it's it's going to be a longstanding fight and to perfect it and nothing will ever be perfect because I think somebody will always want to marginalize somebody out there. But they do go and acknowledge basically with a confidentiality statement, I would say that it acknowledges that the protection of somebody's gender identity is very important. Not only that, but I believe it falls under HIPAA, which someone could fact check me on that, but it should. Unless there is explicit permission to share one's gender identity from the family and the athlete, you are not supposed to say anything. And then Eric, I'm not sure if you got a chance to look at it, but if you, if you did, there are actually a few questions on there. So like there's like athlete registration, there's two questions. It looks like, what is your gender? And they note, instead of asking, what is your biological sex and what are your pronouns? I'm curious about maybe what your thoughts would be around this, because I know that they're supposed to be reviewing this on like a yearly basis. And, you know, maybe you have kids or young adults looking to transition, looking to start hormone therapy, something like that. How would you kind of, what would you think about going about that and phrasing those kinds of questions when people are, you know, registering and, and looking to kind of go, you know, what, what event should they be in? Where should, where do, where do you think I would fall under that? I'm just about those two questions specifically. Yeah. And could there be better questions? Could it be, what are some things that may, what are some issues that they might run into? What are the positives that are coming out of this language being used? I mean, to the question about what your pronouns are, I think a lot when, when people produce media, they're like, oh, in stroke seat, so-and-so 
and being able to then talk about that person using their pronouns rather than an assumption that someone's making. Um, I think to some people that might feel like small potatoes, but that's a really big deal, right? Like if you see your name or you're being talked about on the radio or whatever, sort of, I know that there's lots of coverage of rowing, um, but that that would be a, like, like you're being talked about in a way that feels correct to you, right? And I, so I think that's actually really cool. I do think that maybe in this application, they could say, this is why we're asking for this thing. Um, in terms of like, what's your gender rather than biological sex um that's a tricky question i think you know in that newsweek article people were talking about oh you can't change your sex like if you're born a man you're still a man and i think for some folks it feels like oh no i was just assigned the wrong sex at birth like i am female I have always been female and now I'm transitioning in a way that makes my body look like what I actually am. And so to some extent, asking for gender instead of like, what's your sex <laughs> is actually, so I think avoiding the, avoiding the problem, which is like, oh, if I'm a, I'm, I'm a woman or I'm female, whether I'm cis or trans, right? And then I think asking gender instead of sex is sort of like a, seems to me like, oh, we don't quite feel comfortable with what we're doing. So we're sort of sidestepping this a little bit, but with the best intentions, like that little asterisk that says not your biological sex. Yeah, which, I, I, yeah. And, you know, people who think a lot about gender and sex will tell you that they're different things, right? And so I do, it's not my favorite question, but I think it's a good attempt. And, you know, a, a softball league here in town that is historically was a women's softball league, but since in the last, I don't know, 15 years, they've changed it to say like, if you're a woman or someone for whom playing on a women's team would be the correct space for you, right? So a question like, which category do you, are you going to compete in men's or women's? Right. And just be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm competing in the women's one. And I don't have to like identify myself, I think could be a useful question. Yeah. I, yeah, uh, I like that actually shifts in categorization. I've always kind of, I've recently, I would say started thinking about the fact that like we are the women's rowing team, but we have people on our team who don't identify with that, but like categorically, Tragically, we have to either choose to be a men's rowing team or a women's rowing team, but we have athletes on the women's team that are not women. So it's kind of like trying to break that connection of like, this is just a category and this is your identity. While that's not the perfect solution, it's an option right now. And I think going next steps into the policy, the policy itself is, I actually like it. I know some people don't on that are on our end of not liking it, don't find it progressive enough at the youth level and at the adult athlete master level, the full, the policy says athletes shall be allowed to participate in a rowing activity in accordance with their express gender identity, irrespective of the sex listed on the athlete's birth certificate or student records. That's for juniors. And regardless of whether the athlete has undergone any medical treatment subject to eligibility. And then for the masters, it's, a very similar policy that athletes are allowed to participate in an activity in accordance with such express gender, irrespective of birth cert, and regardless of whether you've gone under any medical treatment, which is basically just saying, choose where you identify, which for a sport org is a good step. And is also what's inspired the Newsweek article, which for um, context for any listeners that haven't read it, was an article that came out written by a group of Olympic female rowers, I believe from the Title IX era, 
they they were very much so part of that wave, which is a common theme we're seeing in a lot of people that are pushing against trans inclusion, but not to say everyone from that era is against it, but these female athletes are. And the article is pretty tough to read. I don't recommend people read it if this is something that may cause them any type of upset because it's very transphobic. And the title is U.S. Rowing Denies Fairness for Female Athletes. It's an opinion piece. Throughout the article, they continuously refer to trans women as men and misgender them and misidentify them. And that, to me personally, makes it hard to even think of having a conversation with these people because I'm like, oh, you're not even meeting me at the base level of respect. So how are we even going to get past anything at that point? Um, But that's the Newsweek article we keep referencing to anyone who has not read it. But back to the policy. Lizzie, do you have further questions about it? Further questions, no. I have many thoughts. But I agree. I think U.S. rowing is very much trying to tiptoe around certain things. And and you're right, Erica, it does sound very like, okay like let's we're gonna like try this out a little bit like is the water like a little too warm is it a little too you know they're testing it but i do i want to look at specifically for event categories because i do really like kind of that what event do you want to compete in i think that is a great way to approach it especially so the last bullet for the events categories the open gender event these events are for athletes uh, of any gender realistically do either of you feel like this would be abused at any point in time? Because I I personally don't think so, because I, I think that's kind of the point of view that maybe a lot of conservatives or people that don't necessarily agree with this policy or any, you know, gender affirming policies. Maybe that's kind of the angle um, that they're trying to take is like, oh, well, somebody is going to abuse the system just for the purposes of winning. But most people, most logical people know that that's not true. And we're all here just to compete, have a good time and enjoy the sport of rowing and sports in general. So I'm curious if either of you think, you know, maybe what what's the likelihood of the severity of it being abused? So we talked about this in class last week. Um, Gender verification testing started in the 50s, I think. And... In that time, there's been one really identified case of a man attempting to compete as a woman in order to win. And even that, it sounds like that person, perhaps by their own account, was an intersex person for whom their their sex was not clear, right? Um, so I think that we don't live in a world where um, people are trying to... Um, pretend to be a, a sex that they're not in order to win. Uh, and there, there's, I think that there's some nuance that's missing in this conversation that is like winning at a sport has become some people's livelihood, right? And so I think that folks are responding from a sense of like, oh, I needed to win in order to like make a lot of money. Um, and that is a weird, like capitalism is a weird system and I think that some of the like knee jerk reaction is like, oh, I I would not have been the best at this or people like me will no longer be the best at this. And that is scary and that is hard. And I think that we can feel empathy for those folks and then be like, but why are you taking this out in the way that you are? Um, and as far as we know, historically, no one has attempted to like beat the system by pretending to be a gender that they're not. My favorite joke is other than she's the man. Um, in which she did, in fact, 
beat the system by playing on the boys team so um but i forget so your point there actually we never talk about trans men right it's trans women are the problem in sport lizzie we have to protect women's sports don't you know we have to protect them we are oh i'm sorry i forgot sorry i can't help but like make poke fun at it um because it's just such a trope in this conversation constantly coming up that like women's sports have to be protected and so often it's like these like very opinionated men being like i'm here to protect you women's sports and half of the women in the sports are like nobody asked for you to be here the door is that way um which is honestly why i find like this current event space like these current things happening a little jarring that it has been driven by women and a lot of the transphobia and hate of like all of this and has like i've seen predominantly from men so suddenly having a group of very smart for the record like they're very well accomplished women that wrote this article and i don't want to take away from the fact that i do like they're working from what they believe are the best intentions but my god are they just like it is it is just dripping in i don't want to lose my power and i see this act as i'm losing my power and i don't like i this the fundamental part of like what i believe to be feminism and progress is not clinging to power it's destroying systems that are forcing us to fight to the death over power but that's kind of what this group of women are doing they're just being so terrified of being disenfranchised that they can't even wrap their heads around this idea that like fairness in sport has never existed. Ah, Erica thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the idea, the identity that these women hold as female athletes is something that we, we have this idea that it has to be protected, right? That, and that's true because a hundred years ago when no, women wanted to play soccer or when women wanted to be in the Olympics, Men were literally like, no, you, you like, we, we will not create a space for you. We, we, we are being banned. We won't let you in here. And through threat of violence or ridicule, whatever, women were barred from, from playing sports. And so that narrative, plus the framing of Title IX to protect women's sports rather than to create an equal space for women's sports, has partially created this sense for older female athletes that they are still having to protect their space. And if you have this idea that that trans women aren't women, which I think comes out in that article, you're like, oh, I'm protecting my space again from not women, which is inherent. It's like, as you said, like dripping in transphobia, right? Like the premise here is that you don't believe that trans women are women, which I think they need to like, they need to like name that. Hello, I'm transphobic. And then I'm like, okay, I can take on that argument, right? Like I, I disagree with that part. And then the other thing that we're grappling with is this idea that men are inherently and essentially better than women across the board, right? Which they make statements in that article where I'm like, oh, some of this is not true. There are ultra marathon runners who are women who beat men. Um, and there are ultra swimmers who swim like, I don't know, like around the island of New York City, whatever it is. And I'm like, wow. So women are beating men right and so there's this transphobic piece and then there's this six this sexist piece that's oh men are, are better right and so there's then there's this like cis woman piece that's like these folks are not women they're coming for my space and they're better than me because they're not women and i actually don't blame folks for having that ideology we're swimming in that and that's what we're trying to combat yeah did i answer the wrong question 
there are no right or wrong answers. We're just we're here we're here for the fun the conversation and the only wrong answer is transphobia. Next, Next. <laughs> check. <laughs> oh, I'm so stoked. This is great. I'm really like it's been so long since I feel like I've really exercised my like queer theory brain and. I am so excited to dive into this. It's uh, my whole college education was critiquing society through media. So, and I've obviously picked all the gay stuff all the time. So, (laughs) so I actually, I do, I want to circle back to a point that you had made earlier about how creating that visibility of just language. And again, I did a deep dive. So I want to bring up your Beyond a Good Fit, examining effective mentorship for BIPOC practitioners in a predominantly white profession. But I want to spin it a little bit, obviously, to fit the athletic sphere and obviously more towards the trans and non-binary folks in our sport. Rowing is extremely affluent. It is extremely white. And there are not a ton of spaces where many people feel comfortable. And it's really cool sometimes to hear when people are like, you know what, like gay ergos and that small, like very small niche, like there are not a lot of followers, but I guess when you think of rowers in general, like it's a decent sized population, but it's one of the only spaces where people seem to feel like they have a space that's just for them. And I just like to exist. And I'm like, here I am. I don't really care what you refer to me as. Like, I love, like I've said before, I love being a woman. This is who I am. Take what, take what you want. I'm always changing and I'm never going to, never going to have an issue with that. And I think that's awesome. But coming back to kind of that good fit and the visibility, I'm really curious to kind of hear more of what, you know, in these confined spaces where there are is a granular level, of, you know, smaller group of people who don't identify as such. You know, maybe maybe they are white, but they're trans or non-binary, and that's such a small population. So I'm really curious about that. Hey, you did your homework. I'm so proud of you. This is some hot girl shit. I told you. I told you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, big brain moment, Lizzie. People better fall in love with my brains on this one because I'm not just a pretty face. <laughs> okay. Mostly my question is how can we create language and create this visibility to continue to have people feel comfortable, you know, just the small population of people who feel not always welcome. And what are, you know, what are ways that this mentorship, you know, how, how can we kind of tie that in? You know, obviously Kira and I are both coaches, but teammates too, teammates, friends, parents, everything national governing bodies i think let me try to think about what transfers from that paper and that model i think one of the things that we wanted to get across in that paper was that if you're in a position of power you almost have a responsibility to use that for good and recognizing that uh, certain rowers or certain people in the community are under-resourced or underrepresented, those are the folks you want to search out and be like, hey, I have this opportunity for you. Um, and I think seeing those folks as partners too, like not at not being a total uh, hierarchical um, relationship, like people you take on as mentees are going to teach you as much about rowing and resistance and the revolution as you are going to teach them. In your, in your mentorship and in your conversations, being clear that you recognize that this is the power dynamic at play, not pretending that everything is sort of inclusive and hunky-dory, but saying like, yeah, I recognize that this is a 
a sexist and a transphobic community that we're navigating. Uh, I want you to know that I know that, and I want to hear from you about how I can support you in that. And I think that there are ways to talk to your athletes and talk to parents maybe, or your colleagues or your, the administration about that power dynamic, right? Of like listening to voices of folks who are underrepresented and highlighting their stories and empowering them. And we have this idea of meritocracy in our society. Those with the most talent get the most reward. And I think we're starting to recognize that those with the most talent have it because they had a leg up. Right. And so like, let's take those who don't have the most talent um, and give them a, a, an extra leg up um, and, and doing that deliberately instead of pretending that it's all just like, Oh, everyone is the same and whoever has the most talent works the hardest. Um, and so I think you can do that like specifically on a team through, I don't know how you, how you interact with athletes how you reward progress over sort of success at the like end goal success, like working hard and progress. Yeah. And I think that the Smith team does a lot of the athletes, right. Have like organized a lot of this work to watch movies or read books and have conversations and having a culture where that exists, I think makes people feel like, Oh, I could belong here because people are doing the work. Is there anything that you've seen work that you have, you know, maybe come extremely close to and you're like, Oh, like, I'm really seeing the results here. I mean, Kira might have more information on this, but Philadelphia City Rowing, I think they do a great job. I volunteered with them for a year when I first got to Philly. And then sometimes when I'm looking for material on how to be inclusive, I'm like, wow, PCR has something about that. Um, so I think that they are both providing opportunities for for almost everybody, but for especially folks who otherwise would be able to row and then doing things like putting out a pamphlet on how to create inclusive culture from what I've seen in the last six years on Smith's campus in general, there's a, there's a culture of protest. Like students will walk out of classes at one time. The, I think the rowing team designed t-shirts. I forget what they were, but they made people uncomfortable. And I was like, Oh, it's cool. Like <laughs> you exist in a space where you're like, they are good enough but I feel safe enough to really push back. So creating a culture where people are like, I'm going to point out what's wrong um, is, is really, I think means you're doing the right thing. Even if it doesn't always feel good, right? You're like, Oh, I'm coming up. But you're like, Oh, these people felt safe enough to give me. Back. So shout out to Smith crew. Yeah. And that's something I think like our head coach very actively put a lot of work into, right? Like it wasn't a thing that happened overnight. It was a culture change that happened over years. And we always joke like, yeah, sometimes the team brings things to us and we're like, okay, yeah, like that is something we didn't really need to know about, but thanks for the sharing. And, um, but it, like the second they stop coming to us is the second we've lost them. Is this like basically the prevailing idea in our office, and I, I can't speak to how uh, Claire built up that progress. Maybe one day we can convince her to finally come on here and she can tell us all about it. Um, but I think, you know, we, we really encourage our athletes to give us that feedback, even if it's not easy for us to hear. And it's made me grow exponentially as a coach. And it's something I look forward to carrying on in my next institution. I don't know. It's probably going to be very different just because... Erica, like you said, there is a history of protests on Smith's campus. Um, but even just like giving athletes the opportunity to just even give feedback on anything, that that level of autonomy is huge. And that level of us showing our, our trust in them is 
also huge and taking it to heart and saying, okay, yeah, you're right. That's a great idea. That's you're totally right on that one and not getting defensive. I think the second you can check your ego at the door, which clearly the writers of this Newsweek article could not do, um, we can all be better people. And I think, you know, we as college coaches, I don't, I don't think we actually have the biggest influence on athletes. I think youth coaches have deserve every ounce of um, just like put them on a pedestal when they're good youth coaches, when they're bad youth coaches, let's have a whole different episode about it. But um, I think one of the things I always come back to with all of these policies and all of these very aggressive reactions is like, for the most part, we are talking about children and youth sport. And if your take on youth sport is win or nothing, I think you need to go look in a mirror and ask yourself what your values are because youth sport shouldn't be about just the outcome. It should be about building good humans for society. And in a, in a sport like rowing, where there are more collegiate slots than there are high school rowers, we are uniquely situated to not care about winning as much. And that's, it's this whole idea of fairness is like, but what about your, what you're teaching them? If we're teaching them to create space for people that are maybe different than people they've ever encountered before and say, hey, you're welcome here. Wow, what a better society we're building just through youth rowing. It's us. Yeah, and the fairness thing, I've talked about this before. Like, we don't care about fairness. We don't look at how many resources. If you watch the Winter Olympics and you watch, there's a team from Jamaica on the bobsled, right? Which is funny because of the movie. And their bobsled is older and not as fast and not as good at bobsledding and they're like oh but that's fair just because you didn't have enough money right that's not fair um the the men who win the um the skiing and shooting thing the biathlon their lungs are like huge their hearts are massive and like that is not a like average human being that human has an has an advantage i won't even call it unfair though because i'm like that's what sports is it's like always people who have some sort of advantage who are at the Olympics, right? The, yeah, I just think it's bananas. Um, the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, they've won so many things. And no one's like, oh, it's unfair because they have more resources and like no one is preventing them from playing soccer in their country, unlike other countries, right? Like we don't care. What we do care about is policing women's bodies, right? And a hundred years ago, it was cis women. And then it was like working class women. And the conversations that we're having right now about trans women, are eerily similar to what was being said about black women in the sixties, right? Like we can't let them compete with us because who knows what will happen to women's sports and Oh, the white women, we need to protect them. So that's, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like in a hundred years, this is not going to look good. And it's just the patriarchy's attempt to control women's bodies in a different way. I loved that so much. But actually, I do want to ask, are there any like recommended readings or resources that folks can kind of go towards and think about when they are trying to create these spaces when, you know, we do want to use more inclusive language, tying in that, you know, mentor mentee, whether it's using U.S. rowing as an example or any governing body as an example of a mentor, what maybe can larger institutions, you know, folks who are in that administration look towards to kind of further these policies. I know that they're, uh, we're looking to hire a diversity officer and, and someone to help them, you know, kind of create a, 
a plan. But like even at the smaller level, the, the people who are looking towards U.S. rowing or any, you know, form of resource, anything that they could publish or that is already out there. I mean, there is obviously so many things. Gosh. So resources that really get at like um, gender inclusive setups. Yeah, I think it's tricky. I think that there are academics who are doing radical work. So Katrina Carcasis has written a lot about how testosterone is not the thing, which I think is a useful shift in ideology. Like I think for people who are in positions of power who are like rooted in this sense of like testosterone is the thing, that's why I can't get my head around this inclusion thing. Reading some of that research can like shift that ideology. Then there are organizations like Athlete Ally who do sort of LGBTQ inclusion work. I think some of their work is to work within existing frameworks. So they're like, okay, we have this non-ideal setup here. What do we do now? And what I think the combination of those two things might be like, here's how we treat folks by asking their pronouns, by thinking about setting up like safe locker room spaces, by thinking about, do we have to name our team the women's team or can we just call it the team? And I think coupling that with more radical work, like the work of Katrina Carcasis and thinking about like, oh, this it's, it's not just accepting people in the system. It's like questioning the system as well that can be really powerful. I know that Carcasis has some like New York Times op-eds that aren't just like research papers. Like you don't have to um, sort of like mush through the jargon to get there. And that Athlete Ally is pretty accessible too. I think Chris Mosier has a website called Trans Athlete, which uh, again, probably is more about like working within a system that we have um, and pushing back in those ways. Yeah, I think those are places to start if you're thinking about these things. I mean, I think that the the U.S. rowing policy is a good, like this idea that like just hop onto the team that makes sense to you, tell us your gender and your pronouns. Like that's kind of the dream. For Well, no, the dream is like, we don't have this binary system of like men who are like supposed to be better, even though we know that they're not in all spaces. And then women who need to be protected, even though they don't need to be because they're very tough. That system, that the dream would be to get rid of that system and to have, so U.S. soccer does this thing at certain age groups where instead of splitting people up by age, they split them up basically by like, by like skill level. So, uh, and by like physical maturity so that if you're a 14 year old who's six feet tall, you're not playing against other 14 year olds who are four foot eight, which if you've ever coached that age group, you're like, well, what am I supposed to do with you guys, regardless of age? So I think that there are models of how we can create more inclusive spaces. And to my view, this U.S. rowing policy is a step in the, the right direction rather than the wrong one. I totally agree with that. I do. I do think it is absolutely a step in the right direction. I think we covered a lot of what I wanted to. I mean, I have so I could talk about this all day long and I have a hundred million questions, but like I said, I, I think we kind of, we've, we've hit the, the nail on the head with a lot of um, the big questions. And I'm, I'm really excited to hopefully get some pushback from people. My DMS are open. So Lizzie loves a good hater. You know, Listen. I do. And you know what though, <laughs> I'm trying to teach myself to be more confrontational because that is not me at all. And I don't like it, but I'm trying to become a little more authoritative in my spaces. And I am choosing who has access to me Ooh, these days. You are a woman who does not need to be protected. I am a woman who does not need to be protected, nor do I want to be protected. 
That's crazy. I've never met one of those. Especially not from LGBTQ folks who just want to play. Like, (laughs) I don't need protection from that. Right, right. I mean, and and I did, I wanted to bring this up really quickly, just um, because this is something I looked at as well. I I took a gender and sexuality class in college, and I did a little bit on um, Castor Semenya. And I believe this was actually before they, for whatever world policy was like, hey, you need to take testosterone suppressants. Castor Semenya is a amazing athlete and just has a physical advantage as a woman, as a cisgender assigned female at birth identifying woman. Again, it just goes back to that point of like, people just want to police women's bodies because they're excelling and they don't like to see that. Yeah. And I think to that point, in many cases, it's going to be black and brown women who are over-policed, right? Like the, like the idea of gender doesn't exist outside of race and the people who fit into traditional ideals are, are white women and they're just going to be policed less than, than black women are, uh, which is the case for Castor Semenya, right? Um, and, and the current policies basically allow for other competitors to say, I want you to test that person's testosterone, which is wild, right? It's basically like by accusation, we can check what people's gender is. Just sounds like a witch hunt yet again. We're, we're back to the Salem witch trials. Welcome to 1640, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I mean, the witch trials are just the beginning, not the beginning. They're the middle of this whole policing women's women, right? Like, oh, you're a woman who knows no stuff burner <laughs> and then they were like we can't burn you anymore but we can keep you out of sports <laughs> this uh, is just the next evolution of the Salem think, witch trials <laughs> it, I, mean, I mean yes and no right like I think that there's a lot of nuance here right and I think that in some ways I want to talk to people who are afraid and be like let me talk to you about this like I I don't actually get it and maybe that's because I was never a world-class athlete like I was never like one spot away from winning an Olympic medal or the inclusion of someone else. But I'm like, so for me, I'm like, oh, there's always been someone who's faster than me or better than me. It was most of my life was my twin brother, right? (laughs) Oh, I don't really mind if it's a woman of any kind, right? Like that's just been my life. Someone's faster than me. I like do think that part of me wants to be like, what, what's happening, right? Like, why are you so afraid? Why is this such a knee jerk reaction? And like talk through some of that. And I think that that Newsweek article especially was like, no, go for the nuclear option, blow it up. And I'm like, no, I think there's some nuance mm-hmm. there, friends, that we could have a conversation about and not just be like, look at me, I'm transphobic and I think men are better. So I'm sexist <laughs> as well. I'm like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Take it back, take it back. <laughs> well, Erica, yeah. thank you so, so much. This was awesome. I will probably email you tons of questions <laughs> now. So. I'm really excited to have a new friend in academia get get some great resources from. Um, And thank you everyone for tuning in to this week's episode. I will love to compile a Google Drive full of resources that you can look into. Keep an eye out for um, our posts. And I hope that everybody has a great President's Week off. Uh, we don't take yeah. off for that here at Smith College. Um, uh, but <laughs> to well, to Lizzie, to your point about feeling confrontational or afraid of con- confrontation, I fear no confrontation. As- that's true. <laughs> but I I appreciate if anyone has questions and wants to chat, I appreciate people who show up in this space with respect. 
And if anyone wants to talk about it, I will gladly engage as long as you are willing to see other human beings at a human level. If you are not, go see a therapist and then come find us afterwards because y'all got some stuff to figure out. Um, But as always, the DMs of the Instagram are open. Erica, again, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. We will for sure be linking no information of yours in the show notes um, as you also do not like confrontation from what I understand. Uh, I like really sincere and well-meaning confrontation. I don't like yelling <laughs> into the void on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Totally valid. We will be te- protecting you at all costs. Um, but great work. Um, as always, thanks for listening in. Like, follow, subscribe. Lizzie, take us out. Oh, that's all I got. See you later, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>